Welcome to a special live episode of the Founded Connect podcast, the place where the Rally Founder resource providers connect with the members of the Rally Founded community. We are live on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. For all of you t- tuning in live, thank you for joining us. Make sure you share with your friends, your colleagues, and on social media, because this is such an important, highly contested, and sometimes pretty confusing topic. I'm Jason Gillikin, CEO of EarFluence, and let me quickly in- introduce my co-host for today before getting to the guest who is here to provide the insight that we're all looking for. Courtney Hopper is a serial entrepreneur, owner of CND Events, the Bradford event venue, Anthem House, and probably a couple others I'm forgetting. All of these businesses are in the wedding industry, so I'm curious to hear her perspective on what it's been like working with various vendors and even guests who aren't always in the most sober state at <laughs> weddings. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Courtney is also a speaker and consultant and the host of the Hustle and Gather podcast. Welcome, Courtney. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Jason Wyden is the co-founder of Raleigh Founded, which now has four locations in Raleigh and is expanding rapidly into other cities as well. At Founded, Jason provides guidance and connections to entrepreneurs in the community. And some of the questions he's been hearing recently, well, they've been about COVID. Like Courtney, he's also a serial entrepreneur, and he's actually had an issue come up with COVID in one of his companies that we'll talk about. Welcome, Jason. Thanks a lot, Jason. All right, let's get to our special guest, the man with the answers to the questions we all have, Kyle Still. Kyle is a practice group leader of Wyrick Robbins Labor and Employment Practice Group. He advises employers of all sizes on compliance with all aspects of applicable state and federal HR laws, including issues related to COVID-19 vaccinations and related safety regulations. In 2020, his peers in the North Carolina legal community voted him as the top employment lawyer in business, North Carolina's legal elite rankings. Well, welcome, Kyle. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me today. All right. Just a reminder for everyone tuning in live, uh, share this with anyone who would be interested in this topic. And if you have questions, put them in the comments on LinkedIn, YouTube, or Twitter, and we'll try to answer as many as we can. All right, Kyle, let's get to it. As an employment attorney, You've had a pretty eventful 18 months, I would say. So what are some of the most common questions you're getting from the client, from your clients related to COVID and and vaccines? Sure. Well, um, it definitely has been a a tumultuous 18 months, as you mentioned, uh, as an employment attorney. And I know there's three business owners at the table with me, so I'm sure it has been for all of you as well, uh, you know, navigating through these waters, which are uh, changing as we speak, because, you know, this is new ground that we're all in together. Um, you know, the most common questions, it's really evolved as the pandemic has evolved at the beginning. I think a lot of employers were worried about, um, you know, making payroll and wondering about having to furlough or, uh, adjust wages or potentially layoffs. Luckily, we saw less layoffs than um, in other economic crises that we've had uh, in the past. Um, then it evolved in how to comply with these government programs to, uh, you know, stimulus and to ensure that you qualify. And also just how do you return to the office once uh, government regulations allowed the economy to reopen? How do you do so? But how do you do so in a way that um, meets your obligations to keep employees safe? Mm. Since January, with the rollout of the vaccinations, um, I will say that that has probably been uh, the most common uh, question that we've gotten from employer clients is, what can I do with regard to my workforce as far as 
requiring and or encouraging uh, vaccination of the workforce? And and how can I do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are uh, certainly um, some laws at play uh, in doing so and making sure that you're compliant um, that we have to walk through with with uh, our employer clients to make sure they're doing it legally. Yeah. Um, the, the laws that are at play um, are really twofold in the employment context. One is Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So this is the law um, that um, prohibits race discrimination, sex discrimination, a, uh, excuse me, national origin discrimination, and um, religious discrimination. And the latter is the most important with regard to the vaccine rollout. Right. Um, because some people do have religious uh, objections or um, concerns about vaccination. And we can talk about um, in a moment what to do if an employee has a religious object- uh, objection to a vaccine. The other at ish, uh, law at play is the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990. And on a broad basis, um, the Americans with Disabilities Act requires certain employers um, not to discriminate against qualified individuals that have a disability if they can do their job with or without an accommodation. And so generally, let's say you have an employee that um, has diabetes. Uh, they you may have a policy that you get two breaks a day. They need more because they need to shoot uh, use their insulin uh, more than twice a day. Accommodate that person by giving them additional breaks to allow them to do their job. That same... Um, process can be applied to COVID vaccine requirements uh, if an employee has a legitimate health reason um, that they cannot take the vaccine. And we can talk about, if you have questions, what it looks like if you get that sort of um, exemption request from a vaccine mandate from an employee. Uh, Both of those laws only apply to certain employers. And so I know you know, in the startup community, um, one of the things that we hear from clients is um, difficulty complying with the laws because some laws will apply to a startup, some will not. So with regard to um, the ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act, and Title VII, um, both of those laws only apply if you have 15 or more employees on a regular basis. So if you are a smaller company, um, you, you have much more leeway to mandate things um, than than other employers. But using those two laws, even if they're not applicable to your workforce, can be a best practice of how to uh, manage things, in, you know, in market and um, do things effectively. So, all right, l- let me get this straight. So, if you have a company of less than fifteen employees, the ADA type of laws do not apply to you and theoretically you can discriminate is that what i'm hearing like is that so that is something that is um certainly uh a question that we get a lot yeah there is and and some of this going to be affected by state law as well um if you're in certain states there can be lower thresholds so if you're operating in multiple states uh and even if you have only one employee you may have to check Pennsylvania law or New York law, wherever that person is. If your workforce is only in North Carolina, you're subject to these two laws that I mentioned, which are federal laws. North Carolina has discrimination laws as well, um, but they also have a 15 employee threshold. Um, So essentially you're working under the same framework in North Carolina. There are some nuances that aren't applicable here. 
Um, what I would say is, um, if you are a an employer with less than 15 employees, you would not be subject to these laws. <laughs> there may be other causes of action that are more traditional torts if you engage in uh, discriminatory behavior. It will be harder for that person to necessarily prove, but it, you know, it, it would still be um, not a good legal practice to, to discriminate even in a smaller employer. Right. Also, from just simply a PR perspective, employee <laughs> yeah. morale perspective, there are lots of reasons not yeah. to do so. Right, so you can't discriminate legally. Right. Uh, or you can discriminate legally, just not in the court of public opinion. <laughs> right. I'm not asking permission to discriminate. I'm just saying so you like, you're this, protected. Maybe yeah, this, <laughs> <laughs> this seems like a, a silly rule. Yeah. Um, Cece producing the show, uh, and reminder, anybody who's watching live, you can put the, your questions in, in the comments, but, uh, could you possibly make it like five degrees cooler in here? Yes, I have. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. We've got these, these masks on and I'm like, Ooh, it is, it is sweaty up in here. Um, so let's, let's go with the, the basics here, Kyle. Sure. So for everybody, and we'll say with North Carolina, just broadly in North Carolina, whether you're a startup or whether you're a, a larger company. Like, are you allowed to, one, ask your employees if they are vaccinated? Let's start with that very basic question. Okay, that's a great question. So, again, the ADA would apply. And usually, the ADA would say that an employer cannot make a medical inquiry of an employee. So, I could not go in and ask my uh, legal assistant, for instance, hey, do you have any illnesses, uh, diseases I should know about? That would be... <laughs> prohibited by the ADA. And there's, you know, a reasonable reason to, sure. not, to not do that, right? Uh, for privacy. The EEOC, which is the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, they is a federal agency that it enforces these laws, has said that asking a person if they have taken the COVID vaccine is not a medical, in medical inquiry. Oh. So you mm -hmm. can ask your workforce, um, have you taken uh, the COVID vaccine, are you fully vaccinated? So for Johnson & Johnson, have you got the one shot and you're two weeks on for the other? Have you got uh, the other vaccines? Have you gotten two shots and two weeks on? Mm -hmm. You can ask for proof um, with, you know, the card and keep that in their records. Mm -hmm. um, what you cannot do is you go to an employee and they say, no, I'm not vaccinated. If you were to ask the follow-up question of, well, Courtney, why not? Why aren't mm -hmm. you vaccinated? That could be a medical inquiry that um, oh, wow. probes okay. your personal medical issues and things like that, using you as an example. Sorry to pick yeah, on you. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but so, so that is where employers really need to be careful, that if they get a no, that may be as far as you can get, because that may delve into prohibited area. I think that's entirely interesting, because as a mother who has kids that go to school, they ask you for your vaccinations. They yep. say in order for you to attend, uh, you need to show your vaccinations or go through several lengths and hurdles right. to prove that either there's a medical reason they're not vaccinated or a religious reason that they're not vaccinated. Uh, it seems like it would, in the case of a unprecedented pandemic, mm -hmm. apply to the workforce as well. Yes. Well, and, and so that gets into the question of with the schools, you know, mandatory right. vaccination. And I know that that's a, another question that we get from employers a lot is, can I mandate um, the vaccine in my workforce? Mm -hmm. and, and the answer is, 
and this is a lawyerly answer. Yes, but you know, you got to do some exceptions. At the beginning of the vaccine rollout, a lot of employers did not want to mandate the vaccine. And the reason is, and you've already hit on it, Courtney, is under these two laws that I mentioned, you do have to give exceptions for health. Mm-hmm. Um, so if someone were to come to you and say, look, my doctor says if I get any of the um, FDA approved vaccines or you know recommended vaccines, I will have an adverse reaction. I can't do it. You would have to give that person an exception. Sure. Um, If a person came with a religious exemption, just as you mentioned, um, you would have to do the same. Um, Like on that point, though, before, like when you said that, what are some of the like that you've encountered some of the religions that are opposed to this? Like what if somebody has all of a sudden taken up a religion in the last month to be opposed to a vaccination and you know this to be true? That is a very good question. Yeah. Um, So the EEOC, they define religion um, under that law, the Title VII law that Mm -hmm. we discussed, very broadly. And I I reviewed the guidance from the EEOC on COVID and they made that very clear in their guidance that religion is defined broadly. And if a person makes a request and attributes it to religion, in most cases, it would be granted. Now, okay. it has to be a sincerely held religious belief. Right. So in your scenario where someone said, you know, if you have reason to believe that mm-hmm. they are making it up, that you might be able to question whether it's sincerely held. The problem that you have as an employer there is uh, if you're contesting whether it's sincerely uh, held belief, they say, no, it, it is sincerely held. Then you're in a fight that you really can't win, you know, because you can't you can't disprove it. Mm-hmm. What I, so a lot of employers, if they get that request and we've even had employees come to our clients and say. Jesus told me not to get this vaccine, that sentence, more or less. Yeah, I've met people like that. Right. And and, you know, no disrespect to them either way, but um it's hard for an employer to really get into a, an employee's mind and know if it's sincerely held. So a lot, you know, the safe approach from employer perspective is to grant that accommodation to not get the vaccine. What employees making those requests need to know is that the accommodation request essentially is, okay, well, you have to continue to wear masks. You have to continue to socially distance and you may have to go into other safety protocols that other employees are not required to go through. So can I pick up on that just yeah, for a second? Um, okay. So in the case of an employee claiming religious reasons or medical conditions that they can't get the vaccine, but they're working in environments where they may work for with at-risk people. For instance, mm-hmm. one of the companies that I own is a is a biohazard remediation company. And oftentimes we are going into environments with elderly people with Alzheimer's and other pre-existing conditions, where if I were to put those people at risk by having an unvaccinated person in those environments, someone could die, you mm-hmm. know, or at least be hospitalized or severely sick or whatnot. On those grounds, I would imagine that I would I would limit where they can work, but oftentimes it's almost every job we have has some sort of at-risk person. Sure. As an employer, would I then have the right to say, well, I can't, 
you know, I, I, I can't employ, you know, if you want to work for me, you must be vaccinated because you're putting others at risk, if not. Yes. So that's a great question, Jason. Um, and, um, and, and I, it applies to the health consideration too. So I'll just cover both. Um, what I will say is that in both of those laws, there is an idea that the employer does not have to grant the request if it's an undue burden. Okay. Proving an undue burden for um, the health reasons is very hard. I've had very few situations where I told a client, no, you're going to probably be able to establish undue burden. For religion, it's easier um, to prove for an employer. So essentially, the EEOC will say, well, you have to defer more to a person's health condition than a religious condition in the accommodation. So you may do exactly what you're doing. Um, you would require that they wear PPE and things like that, socially distancing, if possible, and that sort of thing. But there's also a concept of direct threat, which is I do not, as an employer, have to grant an accommodation request if it will pose a direct threat to the safety and well-being of the employee requesting it or others in the workplace. And so that would also apply to um, your your end-user clients that you're describing there, potentially. You'd have to go through the analysis very carefully because I will tell you the direct threat exception is not used very often pre-COVID, but we're in a different world, right, than we were 18 months ago, 19 months ago. So that would be part of the analysis. And the EEOC is recognizing that, that there may be situations where there's a direct threat under certain certain scenarios. If socially distancing, masks, the other type of traditional things that we're all familiar with would not be effective in, in keeping people safe. Right. That's so, helpful. So I have, I have one other question going back to something you mentioned earlier sure. about not being able to ask your employees why they're not vaccinated, mm-hmm. right? What's so interesting to me, I had an instance in the company I own where there, there was an individual that had COVID, there was others around them, um, While he had COVID, unmasked, unbeknownst to me at the time, he knew he COVID. He well, he didn't know he had COVID until the next day, and then sure, unbeknownst to me, I'm sure that's happened to uh, to many of us. Anyway, so we appropriately communicated it. I didn't know how many people on this team, and these are um, laborers, blue blue collar folks. I didn't I didn't know how many people on the team weren't vaccinated until this happened. Uh, and based on what you're saying, I think I appropriately asked the question. Um, and I didn't ask anybody why they weren't vaccinated. My initial thought was, okay, this is ridiculous. I don't know why you're not vaccinated this day and age. Anybody who's not vaccinated has to go. That's my initial reaction. And then the practicalities of owning a company with service workers in a hot market and trying to find employees come into play. Sure. And then the complexities of why individuals didn't get vaccinated weren't as black and white as I thought, right? <laughs> I mean, I believe in science. I believe in the vaccine. I believe in our community and protecting others. I mean, I'm, I'm in that other group that says, why the hell aren't you vaccinated? Sure. Yeah. Excuse me, I don't think I'm able to swear. But, <laughs> um, but in this case, though, there were, there were reasons, historical reasons, and one person, one individual on our team, why they weren't vaccinated. You know, as a person of color, historic reasons of things that have happened. And if if I intellectual person like I looked, a general mistrust. Um, just certain things that happened to grandmothers okay. back in okay. North Carolina. 
dealing so like, with like a mistrust reproduction, right. Okay. rights And those kinds of things. So there's a, there's a real reason there, yeah. right. Not to trust certain things. Right. And if I, in intellectually, if I looked at that question, I'm thinking, okay, that's a question. That, that, that's a question that, that, that that's valid from this person's point of view. Now, this person asked, he, he clearly was, was his circle clearly was against the vaccine, but he was open to wanting to know why he should be vaccinated, mm -hmm. right? In this case, he engaged me, wanting wanting my advice, and I, I think instinctually I was uncomfortable. Sure, as a human being, I wanted to <laughs> to pitch him on the vaccine. Right. As an employer, you know, I, I was uncomfortable. So, but if an employee, I, I guess, a long winded way of asking, and if, if an employee comes to me mm -hmm. and is is on the fence. Right, may get vaccinated if someone were to have that conversation with them. Should I engage in that conversation or refer them to something, someone completely their medical, their doctor, or someone to have that conversation with them instead of it being me? Sure, that's a question that a lot of our clients are grappling with. Particularly, you know, I think at the beginning of the rollout of vaccines, there was an assumption that oh, people will all get them, you know, generally, and uh, obviously it's been slower we're at 50 some percent nationwide um is that it uh, i don't have wow. the exact figure but yeah, it's, it's just north oh, yeah it's yeah, in the like 51 or something sorry something go ahead <laughs> like that so it's been slow um and it's readily available right um so that is something that employers have also grappled with that you know maybe we don't want to mandate the vaccine and, and just to put a pit on that the reason that a lot of employers didn't want to mandate is now they have information about people's health and religion that they otherwise wouldn't have, you know, because mm -hmm. you do have to give that exception. Um, but how do we encourage the vaccine? How do we incentivize? Um, and the number one, the EEOC has said that encouraging and incentivizing the vaccine is appropriate. For some companies are paying their employees to get vaccinated. Absolutely. And that is uh, in conformity with, EEOC guidance. The rule is that, well, well the number one thing that EEOC uh, does is to provide educational material. So, you know, to your uh, scenario, providing factual information about the vaccine's effectiveness, um, you know, any risk rating, you know, which is low based on what we know right now, you know, essentially taking data from CDC, FDA, where ha wherever it's uh, encouraging employees with factual information is certainly appropriate. So, so that's okay um, if, if you were to be approached or if an employer just wants to do that proactively. Um, the EEOC has also um, said that it's appropriate to incentivize employees to get the vaccine. The incentive cannot be so substantial that it's coercive. And so we're, you know, in um, a brave new world where as a lawyer, usually we look to past precedent, what's happened to interpret what's going to happen in the future. That's hard to do because this is a completely, you know, new concept, what's coercive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think what the EEOC is getting at is if you make the incentive so large that the employee can't refuse it economically, then you're, you're, you're forcing them to do so. Um, but there have been lots of employers giving small bonuses or other, you know, material incentives that that don't reach that coercive status. So 
that that's definitely something yeah, it's a fine tool. line yeah i mean like uh, incentive versus coercion like there w where's the line there it's so hard to to know that mm -hmm. wow um no i think it's like a like a louis vuitton bag versus like you know like maybe like a nine west one <laughs> sure. one's coercion one's an incentive <laughs> <laughs> that's what you're gonna do for your team no <laughs> you heard it here first <laughs> So, Kyle, can we shift to uh, employee rights here? So, you know, there's uh, what the employer will mandate, what the employer will recommend as far as vaccines or masks and, and all those things. But then there's the, the practicality of it. I mean, the reality is some of these uh, some of these times or some of these offices, like there might be masks slipping off and that's just how it is. And mm -hmm. like what's an employee's right to, to safety in, in all this? Uh, like if an office mate like refuses to get yeah, vaccinated. Yeah. And, but is supposed to be wearing a mask, right. um, but you know, it's wearing it, but like around their chin and like, right. is what's that employee's right to, to feel safe? That's a great question. So, um, again, it goes down, it comes down to federal agencies enforcing rules and we're all familiar with OSHA, which we may think is, this is a government agency that regulates safety. You may think of a construction site or industrial site as applying more to OSHA. Um, and there are specific standards of, you know, you must have guardrails if it's an elevated service over this feet, et cetera, things like that. Um, but also in the OSHA rules, there is a something called the general duty clause, which is, hey, if we OSHA don't have a specific rule on topic, you, the employers, even if you're a law firm, even if you're um, a, a wedding vendor, you know, that may not be as high risk as industrial plants, you have a general duty to keep your employees safe. And so that has applied to COVID. Um, and what we tell employers, and this is particularly as the economy kind of reopened last summer for some folks, um, and it's evolved as we get more information is definitely to have written safety protocols if employees are going to be around each other um, that incorporate the best practices recommended by the CDC or the North in North Carolina, the Department of Health and Human Services. Um, in that, an employee should be able to um, have a reporting mechanism if they feel like there's something um, happening in the workplace that that makes them unsafe. Now, of course, it has to go with, you know, at my law firm, we have these kind of protocols. We're not scientists. We're not epidemiologists. We're not virologists, etc. Mm -hmm. So we go off the government guidance, yeah. you know. So when in North Carolina, the mass mandate was lifted there for a period of time this summer, you know, we evolved and, and we recommend employers involved because we're relying on, you know, what the government's telling us. But there should be a mechanism for uh, in these kind of policies for an employee to ask for an accommodation if they need additional safety procedures for their particular circumstances or to report concerns. One of the things that OSHA is really grappling with now um, is what to do about unvaccinated workers because, um, you know, some have a very good reason for not getting vaccinated or historical reasons, as you mentioned, uh, and they do have the safe, you know, safety rights um, as well. 
which can be frustrating, you know, I know for, for people, um, but they do still have safety rights. The OSHA has said that, uh, and this is one of the things that kind of reinstated the mass mandate is in areas of high to medium, I believe I'd have to check the exact, but in high spread areas, um, workers that are in close proximity to each other should wear masks, even if they're vaccinated to protect unvaccinated folks. Um, they also have recommended that unvaccinated people, because they are at higher risk of a worse um, severe illness, in, yeah, yeah. E uh, exposure, that they be vac if they're going to be in the workplace, that they be vac uh, excuse me tested weekly. Um, if they're unvaccinated, that does not apply to. So, so I have a quick question along those lines. Yep. So in, the, in there many companies within the Raleigh founded community, they've had the same conversation with where most of their teams vaccinated. They've got a couple that can't get vaccinated for whatever reasons or won't. They're valuable members of their team. They institute a max mandate and a testing mandate for those folks. Mm -hmm. Who pays for that? If someone if someone chooses yeah. not to be vaccinated, you know who who is paying for those tests? Is the is the onus on the the I, employee? I just read an article about Meredith College requiring vaccination, and I think it was Meredith College. Don't quote me on that, but a college requiring vaccination, and if they d decide not to get vaccinated, it's like an additional something like twenty one hundred dollars a semester because they have to be tested every week, and it falls back on the the student or the parent or whoever's paying for the education. Right, and th and that's the thing I think that's super confusing is there's multiple businesses that are coming out, like I think American Airlines mm -hmm. and some of the universities that are requiring their whole staff to be vaccinated or you don't work here. Like literally like making that line. And I'm sure there's exemptions being made for sure. know, religious or whatever, but for the most part, most people are falling in line and or finding another job. And it's very confusing as a small business owner to see, obviously like they have more at stake than we do, you know, mm -hmm. and they're making these mandates and it seems to be, fine even at meredith college like mm -hmm. with the vaccine mandate or you pay for testing yes and um and i don't know the ins and outs of this yeah. of duke but duke university mm -hmm. has set some deadline for employees and again i can't speak to the specifics of that. i just have read probably the same articles we all have right but if you don't within a certain time you have seven days and you're you're, you're terminated i am sure there are exceptions for health and religion i would assume um, I think that the trend we're seeing is at the beginning of the vaccination rollout, a lot of employers, I think, assumed that there would be that we would get to herd immunity with vaccination relatively soon. And obviously that's not happening. Um, employers were hesitant to mandate the vaccine because, well, you, you can ma va uh, mandate vaccination and um, but you put yourself more at risk as an expo uh, as an employer because you have to show business necessity in this day and age. I think that's a pretty yeah. low bar mm -hmm. to frankly, I mean, you see a lot of the employers doing that are hospital systems, university mm -hmm. systems. It's obvious. I think that would apply to most workplaces though, mm -hmm. frankly. Um, but you also, um, again, you have to give the exceptions. And so the risk there is, okay, you give an exception for, a health reason. This is an employee who was 
a poor performer for other reasons, you terminate them three months down the road because they're late every day or, you know, legitimate reasons. And now they point to, well, everything was fine until I knew about, until the employer knew about my health exemption. So Mm. having that information is a risk. I think that the folks or the companies that you're seeing, and they're more and more, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that will be a continuing trend. Um, The larger companies are setting the standard, but I think you'll see it more and more um, that they've just made a decision that knowing, you know, that risk is acceptable to them because it's going to provide that much more safety in the workplace. Can, can you ask your employees to pay for it on their own as the free clinics go away? So that is a that is a great question. Circling back to what you asked there, if it is mandated by the employer, then the employer bears the responsibility for the cost, which okay. is another issue that has made some employers hesitant. One other issue um, related to that is <laughs> I mentioned that the uh, OSHA is recommending that unvaccinated people be um, tested weekly. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're mandating that a person be tested weekly and, and they may be able to go get a free test for now, right, or, or something like that. We don't know in the future. But that is a company mandated thing. So they are on company time when they're getting that mask or excuse Uh, me, that test. So, you know, that's another thing that, you know, if you have them do it on Saturdays, um, you got to put in some program to say, okay, it's due on Monday or it's due on Wednesday or some predictable method for an employee so that they can, they can actually comply. But if they do it on a Saturday, they're on the clock. If they do it during your regular work week, I mean, it can, there can be long lines and things like that. Mm -hmm. And they're on the clock during that period. See, that one surprises me because, you know, a lot of job descriptions will require you to be have to lift 20 pounds or 50 pounds. Mm-hmm. And, and again, you know, some of these companies that are like a, a nursing home or something, mm-hmm. right? I mean, these people should be required to have to take care of patients yeah. if that's their job. And if they're at high, around high risk people, they should be vaccinated or at least, well, so that, that one, that one's a tough one for me, but I, I, I get it. You know, I mean, yeah. And I do know, and I, again, I don't have all the specifics on this, but there is some funding issue where funding for nursing homes may be withheld. If, yes, if, I did if, read that. And I don't, mm-hmm. again, I, I wish I knew more about specifics there. So I think, I think there is more of a, um, I don't know if the word is aggressive, but a more significant approach coming as, you know, particularly in these critical areas um, to help with rollouts in the nursing and nursing home uh, communities, it's just so hard for retention. You know, they're they're having so many um, nurses leave and turnover, and then it is a critical time. So it's just a it's a difficult balance, I think. Yeah, there. Wow. Let's talk about um, vendor relationships. So, in Jason's company's case, where the nursing home, his company is coming into the nursing home, and like, what are the expectations of that nursing home that his employees be vaccinated right and then for courtney i mean in weddings like courtney can you walk us through like what a typical wedding looks like in terms of vendors and like how many vendors are involved and how many employees are involved depending on like the complexity of the wedding you're looking at anywhere from like 15 to 25 vendors who are servicing maybe 150 to 200 people and uh as a venue from our venue standpoint it's very easy for us to say like from the like as you're going to work here you need to wear masks uh, we don't ask for vaccinations. I just think that would be hard to prove. Uh, and I do think the labor 
shortage has come into play, especially with caterers, to be able to put that undue stress on our catering companies to say like, hey, all the people who work here, all the temps that you hire, they have to be vaccinated, um, I think would be really, really hard to implement in reality. But something that's easy, like, hey, you got to keep your mask on while you're here, I think is an easy thing to implement. So we do do that. Um, But it definitely, I, I feel like from, from my perspective, for my staff, I want to do everything that I can do as a customer facing company to make my clients safe, right? So I would hate it if one of my staff members is the person that infected started the infection for 150 other people, like what kind of PR mess is that? And like, Mm -hmm. where is, where does it fall on me as a business owner that I didn't provide as much safety as possible for the clients who are renting the space for me, even from what I can control, like my employees. Well, Courtney, I'm, and I'm sure you've had clients that have said, I don't want anybody working in my wedding. That's not vaccinated. You know, and you're probably constrained by the staff you have. And so, So what about the um, florist? You know, what about the DJ? Like, right. are you able to ask questions on if they are vaccinated? Like, they're not your employees. But but what if so? But what if Courtney, Kyle? So what if Courtney? Mm-hmm. So Courtney's client comes in and says, "I want everybody to be vaccinated," and it's really busy. And Courtney's like, "Everybody on my team is vaccinated." Right. Wedding takes place. Someone, you know, someone in the wedding party gets sick, becomes a super spreader event. Someone gets sick and dies. And later, the client finds out through a friend that someone on Courtney's team was there, unvaccinated, and had COVID. Mm-hmm. So, so what's the legal what ramifications? Would, what would be the legal ramifications? Yeah, like the, yeah, the liability to her. Yeah, though that's a great question. Um, you know, I think that it would come down to essentially a negligence standard mm-hmm. to say, okay, well, did. Courtney and her business act in a reasonable fashion to account for um, this risk because it's a risk we all go through every interaction we have, right? Right. Um, And so I think that's why it is good to have protocols, um, procedures, you know, try to follow the best practices that are out there because things like this can happen Mm -hmm. despite your best efforts and people, you know, could give you false information, but there's good, you're going to be in a better position if you sought information, you know, information from an employee and got incorrect information than not asking for the information at all right. in, in that scenario. As far as to your question, can you demand um, that a vendor be vaccinated? There's certainly going to be, you know, less restrictions on a business to business relationship than there would be on an employee employer relationship. Um, I mean, I think absolutely you can, yeah. because I mean, yeah. I could say, I want you to wear purple and dye your hair purple to work absolutely. in this event. And you're going to have to say yes, if you want to work here. Absolutely. And and sometimes what we'll hear is, well, that sounds like a HIPAA violation. And, and I am not a HIPAA expert. We have yeah. a whole team of HIPAA experts at my firm, which are going to cringe that I'm even trying to talk about HIPAA. <laughs> but, but from my, you know, I'm, you know, my limited knowledge of HIPAA, HIPAA applies to only certain entities that are healthcare entities, you know, right. essentially. So you know, there's not a HIPAA issue in what we're describing. I mean, that is a constant retort of, you, you can't ask for that for HIPAA. It, that's not applying. From an employer perspective, let's say um, in your situation, you get that uh, bride and groom that want to make sure everybody is 
vaccinated at the wedding, they can make that request of you. Customer's always right. 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 It puts um, you in a slightly difficult position with your employees because um, what you cannot do is discriminate against employees based on a customer's preferences. So, for instance, if you were to say, go to a restaurant and say, hey, I I don't want this female uh, waitress. I, I want a male waiter. Can you just bring me a male? That would, the employer, <laughs> the restaurant would be discriminating against that waitress, you know, on the basis of sex, if they mm-hmm. granted that uh, employee's request. Oh, wait a minute um, here. Wait, 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 wait. Like, the, I feel like it's different though. Like, it would be like, I don't want this waiter who's carrying a torch. Like, right. Like, that, like there's, there's health um, concerns there. Like, yeah. that, how, it feels like that's different, but sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I agree with you. I agree with you. I, I it's a it's a difficult balance to make, you know. And so, I mean, but you'll like, have to know what if there's a legitimate health reason, you know, why they're unvaccinated, that sort of thing. But also, what you know, the customer may articulate, "Well, I have health concerns. My grandmother has, you know, is immunocompromised. Things like that." Right, I yeah, think sure. that would make the standard easier for you. And so, like employees. brass tacks, like literal, just like. Brass tax. You have fifteen more plus employees, um, and you want to mandate, like, hey, I want everyone to be vaccinated. Like, to work here, you have to be vaccinated. I'm not worried. I'm not worried about the ancillary stuff. Like, can I find a replacement for you? Or is right. all like, and that's what I want to mandate. Like, hey, to work here, you have to be vaccinated. I'm going to give you this deadline unless you have a legitimate reason. Like, it's going to kill you from a doctor. You have to be vaccinated. Is it not within my right? as an employer to say that's what it takes to work here in North Carolina. Isn't it like a, a right to work state? You, you can definitely do that. You would have to, the health uh, exception may not be to the standard of it, unless it will kill you. I mean, if it's right, right, a legitimate, or, but, I know but if saying. you give the religious and health exceptions, right, yeah. you can mandate it. Yes. Yeah. You would have to show a business justification for doing so. And then you're, I think you can articulate one for almost any op- right. any operation unless the workforce can all effectively work remotely, which right. some some companies can. But in your uh, business where you're interacting with uh, people at events, I think you can certainly, you know, make the business justification. Right. That the risk of my employee infecting a guest or another employee far outweighs them staying in the office in a Right. Or, or working or from home on their couch or in their home office. Yeah. Because that's not an option in events. Yeah. No. <laughs> not an option. I'm going to work remotely. Move that chair here. <laughs> Zoom events. That's right. right. That'd be amazing. Yeah. That'd be horrible. What, uh, Kyle, what the Biden administration obviously is encouraging everybody you know, to, to get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Right. What is the government doing to incentivize uh, employees, employers to you know, require vaccinations and, and all those things, if, if anything. Yeah. So I, I really, you know, I know that the Biden administration for government employees is mandating mm-hmm. uh, vaccinations to a certain extent. I don't know the full scope of that. You see in the armed forces, mm-hmm. there's going to be some requirements. I think they're leading by example um, for the private workforce by, by putting those uh, mandates in place. Uh, there's certainly a sense of, well, if the feds can do it, you know, we should be able to do it as well. Right. I will also say that, you know, I'm telling you a lot of legal regulations and some of them are frustrating, understandably frustrating. But I will say that 
the government agencies have been, I feel like, more accommodating than they are in other contexts, for instance. I mean, even asking, as an example, even allowing employers to ask if you're vaccinated, that was something that was surprising to me that the EEOC yeah. gave their stamp of approval mm -hmm. on. The EEOC does have um, different, they have pandemic policies, which were implemented with the H1N1 flu in the early 2010s, which we barely <laughs> remember about. I, I know I had some large clients that put pandemic plans in in 2010 wow. 20, 2009 that time frame well, little did they know little yeah. did they know i was thinking about that just the other I week know. i was like i don't even remember what's in that i don't think i knew what a pandemic yeah. was at that time <laughs> and now we all know all too well um we were so innocent I yeah know. but um but i do think that the government is working well together the eeoc is taking the lead from the cdc and the fda to make some of these things, to follow the public health guidance from those experts um, in a way that they might not, um, if it weren't a pandemic, there's more flexibility for them to do so. So I do find that that is something that's, um, that's gotcha. helpful. Because we're talking about greater good here, honestly. Yeah. It's not even about the individual anymore. It's about like when you were to have a heart attack, you can't get care at this point. Like all of these decisions that these individual people are making, it's affecting everybody's right to health care and everything that we've built. So I think it becomes more about the collective good than it is an individual right at this point. Yeah. I feel like it's where it's going. I feel like, I feel like the walls are closing in on people who don't want to be vaccinated. Like every article that I read and the way the government's going and pr even private businesses and universities, it's narrowing mm -hmm. into like, you don't have the options in some ways. Well, yeah. but there's still, you know, still always going to be, I mean, historically, there's a contingent of people in this this oh, country sure. that think that, you know, their own rights. I'm from Florida. I know. Uh, you know, Trump <laughs> know other people's people. rights and, you know, the strong survive kind of thing. I'm so, to these <laughs> and, you know, and the reality of it is we're, we all are going to come into contact with those people and right. work with those people. I mean, whether it's a, vendor employee relationship or employees and you know it's not easy so i, I agree with you yeah. i think the more that the science is clear and the more that that is clear you know the people that are on the fence are you know coming over to the, the side of vaccination and right. the collective good and everything else but boy but there's still going to be that 20 to 30 percent of people that just aren't yeah right? and i agree with you courtney that the trend is definitely what you're describing mm -hmm. and that would be on a legal perspective as well um so an example university of indiana required its students to get vaccinated in order to attend classes and this is a prestigious public public university right. i mean in a, a red public, state yeah. right in a, in in a, a republican state, state. Right. Yep. um and that has already been litigated challenged by students who did not want to be vaccinated and gone through the appeals court and the it's holding. appeals court said yes you can mandate vaccine uh the vaccination of students and i think essentially mm -hmm. you know a lot of the uh, opinion is well you don't have to go to indiana university mm -hmm. uh you, you know you can go you don't have to go to university part. right exactly. right you don't have to that's not that's not yeah a thing and i i think particularly in um, certain workforces, there may be a trend. This is me predicting mm -hmm. where 
to, to your point, we cannot put people in a healthcare facility at risk by having un, you know, unvaccinated or a high percentage of unvaccinated workers. If there's a legitimate health concern, we can have intense PPE for that particular nurse to accommodate him or her. But, you know, on the whole, we need to have a vaccinated workforce for those high risk areas. Hmm. Kyle, what, what questions haven't we asked that we should get to some of the questions that your clients are, are asking? Well, I'd love to hear what you guys as business owners are, are thinking. And, you know, I'll, I'll think about that. So I, I have, I have, I mean, I have, I have one other question. Yeah. Yeah. That's please. Okay, Jason. So, you know, the, it Raleigh founded, you know, we, we've been very careful, you know, both with our employees and our community members to make sure that we're following the CDC guidelines, you know, and we're doing the right thing as we've, sure. as we're learning about the, the pandemic and the virus and, and it's ever, ever evolving. Right. Um, so along the way we, we've been, you know, listening to the science and, and our government officials and those are, that are steeped in this information. The reality of it is though, the light switch turned on and we're all coming back. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. And I have employees that have to manage our spaces, right. Mm -hmm. and, and have to engage in a, in a public setting. Uh, thankfully at, you know, at Raleigh founded, everybody's vaccinated. Um, Everybody buys into masks, and then and then this is hypothetical. But the Delta variant comes back in, and I have an employee that says, "I don't want to come back to the office. I want to work at home." Mm -hmm. We've 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 created a safe environment. We've put in the uh, the precautions. You know, we're we're communicating effectively. We're we're following all the guidelines that we're being told we need to follow. And I have someone that I'm paying that has a vital role in the face to face contact. I can't necessarily make accommodations for them to work at home because that's where I don't that I don't need them for that. Mm -hmm. So what obligation am I? And again, this is a hypothetical mm -hmm. team. If you're, sure. I know some of them are listening. <laughs> um, you know what? What obligation do I have to make accommodations for that? Those folks, even under you know, I guess that would fall under the ADA sure. guidelines. Yeah, you you hit the nail on the head with the ADA and the word accommodation, and so. In a general sense, under the ADA, so if, if, if it, we're, we're speaking about coronavirus here, but in a general sense, if an employee comes to an employer and says, hey, I need this accommodation, I need to go outside the lines a little bit um, because of a health concern I have, the employer is not automatically required to grant the specific accommodation that person comes to it with. What the employer is required to do is something called the interactive process. So you talk to the employee and you say, okay, well, let's talk about what your job requires, what the essential functions, and these are all buzzwords under the ADA. This is this, uh, these are the essential functions of what your job does. In some positions, work from home may be an appropriate accommodation, right? Um, if the person's able to do the vast majority of his or her job remotely, right? In other scenarios and what you're describing may be one of those uh, situations where, you know, the job is here, right? You have to perform maintenance here. You have to greet um, the, the uh, members here and, and, and that sort of thing, you know, that you may, they may not be able to do the essential functions from home. And so that's actually, you know, you ask what questions we're seeing. That's the question we're getting more and more because there is, um, particularly with the Delta uh, virus, people who 
are concerned and want to work from home. Um, but, and, and you do have to give an accommodation if one is granted, but it has to be something that allows them to perform their essential functions. Okay. So I would keep that in mind that, okay. you know, work with the employee, but at the end of the day, they're employed to do something specific and, and they have to be able to accomplish that. Great. Yeah. Okay. That's a, it's a, it's a tough, that's tough a, that scenario. one's a little bit more common sense though. Yeah. That you is think true. If you can make accommodations, mm-hmm. you do, if you sure. can't, then yes. you can't do the job. Yeah. So as a co-working space, you know, um, Raleigh found as a co-working space, let's say I come in and, you know, we, we have a, a space here and I'm just refusing to use a, a mask, but that's required here. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I'm just, you know, a, a, not a jerk to everybody, but just disrespectful to, to everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, can Jason say, look, man, I'm sorry, we got to kick you out. Like you can't, you can't stay here anymore. Sure. I mean, they yeah. can revoke a membership. Yeah. Okay. Following the rules. Can, I mean, you can walk into country clubs, some of them without okay. a jacket, you're getting kicked out. Right. So, I mean, yep. It yeah. seems like it applies. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You can set rules and people not following the rules yeah. are essentially trespassing and can be asked to, yeah, given the opportunity to comply with the rules, right? Sure. Reasonable rules. I feel very uh, strongly right, what, about that because I, we did events in 2020. We did events during mask mandate during, uh, you know, capacity limits and whatnot, and sure. was called a na- mask Nazi on many occasions. But at the end of the day, it's your space. It's my private space. You're not going to follow the rules. You're not going to be a guest here, like period. You're not going to, we're, we're going to follow the mandate, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to follow the rules. So if you can't do what we're supposed to do, then you can't be here. And there's no right to that. Do you know what I'm saying? I think same yeah. thing with the membership situation, I would imagine. But would, would eight, but ADA could apply in that situation too. Right, they can keep right? with the medical they can give you a note. If someone had a medical I, reason why they couldn't do those. something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And under the governor's order, um, there are um, exceptions where a person cannot be required to wear a mask. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I, it's been a while since I've looked at it, but there is something, there may be something in there about limiting your ability to really probe with that person, you know, it, how much, but health reasons is one. Um, you know, people who are actively eating and drinking, those sort of things. There are exceptions. So I, I guess I should modify what I said. To, you know, if the per- they should be talked to and find, you know, the, the reason found out because they may not be violating the governor's order. That being said, I mean, again, it is your establishment and it's private, private property, private property right? Yeah. And so, you know, you could set the rules, you know, as, as you see fit as well. So. There was one other thing you asked about other questions we get. Yeah. Um, and I know we're getting close to the end, but I thought this may be um, helpful because this applies to employers of all sizes. <laughs> uh, in March of last year, there was a law passed by Congress and signed by the president, the empl- uh, FFRCA, um, Families First Coronavirus Response Act. And what this did was provided paid sick leave for people who are uh, experiencing certain coronavirus related events, right? You're caring for a family person, a family member, you have coronavirus yourself, you're waiting on diagnosis, where leave was required to be paid on top of any sick leave that the employer already gave. Mm. Um, That was um, reimbursable in taxes to employers. Mm-hmm. So that was the carrot and the stick, right? Mm-hmm. Of, hey, you know, we're going through a crisis here. Uh, employers, we know you're putting a, we're putting a burden on you um, at a time where cash is tight, particularly right. March of last year. 
um, but we're going to reimburse you, you know, for certain criteria. That law did expire uh, December 31st of last year. But in some of the stimulus bills that have been passed in 2021, employers can do so on a voluntary basis and still get the tax credit through, I believe it's the end of September. So we're in the okay. last month, unless there's more hmm. uh, congressional inter uh, intervention. But it was very impressive. Uh, you know, usually the federal government does not act very swiftly. And um, they passed that in a matter of eight or 10 days into yeah. the pandemic. So interesting. usually don't uh, praise our elected officials <laughs> that much, but, you know, at least they did something quickly. As an employment lawyer, my team and I had to get our arms around a brand new uh, employment law in very short order. So it was definitely an interesting experience. Yeah. I mean, a lot has happened quickly and uh, everything will continue to evolve. So, you know, in September of 2021, thank you for telling us what the rules are today, <laughs> Kyle, because there's so many questions and this has been so helpful for, for me and, and hopefully for, for our audience here. So thank you. Kyle, again, thank you for coming on the special live episode of the Rally Founded Podcast. For everyone watching and listening, um, where can they go to either connect with you or get more information on the rules and, and regulations? Absolutely. Um, we, uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Kyle Still. Uh, and send me a message. I'd be happy to answer any questions that people have. Um, you can also find um, resources related to um, these rules at our firm's website, which is wyrick.com. W-Y-R-I-C-K.com. Yeah. Perfect. Well, Kyle, I appreciate it. And everybody, thank you for, for tuning in. Be sure to share this video and podcast with your networks. Very important information here. Um, for more on Rally Founded, where we're filming from, and uh, Rally, Founder, Rally Founded members have access to the studio, actually, visit rallyfounded.com. And to connect with Courtney, uh, tune into the Hustle and Gather podcast, where she and her sister Dana talk about the realities of running a business, including sometimes COVID-related issues. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. And finally, if you're interested in podcast production, be sure to visit earfluence.com. I'm Jason Gillikin, and we will see you next time on the Founded Connect podcast.